Okay, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Heading to verse 26 today, technically. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. This is the 20th time we circled around this uh, passage, and uh, I think it's going to be worth our time. It always is to study from God's Word. Verse number 26 is a verse that you've seen before. I know you've heard it before. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. If these were two options and you had to choose one, which do you pick? (laughs) Most people say, give me the second half. The first one's tough. But we're going to look at this passage today and and, uh, rejoice that the Lord has given it to us. All right? Heavenly Father, help us. You know, every time we submit ourselves to your word, you set that standard so very high. And you overwhelm us with your truth. And we see several things. One, we see how far we fall below what you've called us to be or do. And second, we see your loving call for us to trust you, to walk your way, to depend upon your strength, to see it through for your glory. And there's a lot that rides on these messages every single week. Because these change our lives. They make us to be more like our Savior. And so we have to submit ourselves to this time. And the privilege it is to have your word in front of us today. May we not take this time lightly. But may we all ask in our hearts, Lord, what would you have me to do? And teach us, Lord, we pray, as we just sit at your feet. We, we love being your children. And we love the fact that you teach us. And you do it so beautifully. Teach us again, we pray, that we might come to know Jesus better and serve him more. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse number 24, 25, and 26. These three working together here. We're looking at the masterpiece that God has designed in the functioning of the church. I keep emphasizing that word, and I will until I'm through with the study, because the whole sermon idea is the efficient functioning of the church. And what we can easily study is the church as to the fact God designed it and and deal with the aspects of what it is and and how it looks. But we're interested in how does it work and how does it function. And even better than that, I use that word efficient in front of it on purpose because we want it to work at its peak Efficiency. We want to see what God designed operating as God designed it to operate. Don't we? Okay. Well, that's us. Just you and me. We're going to do it. Alright, verse 24. Whereas, this is right in the middle of a thought. Ready? Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. Alright, that goes with the previous thought. This is where we really start. But God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to the members which lack, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. 
And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We're looking at a purpose clause here, starting in verse number 25. A purpose of God's composing. Why did he do this? What was the purpose behind it? I think if we understand a purpose, we know what we're supposed to be doing, right? We understand, why did he do it this way? God's design is really quite a surprise. (laughs) It's not the way the world would design the church. You probably already know that. They've been trying to redesign the church for 30 years uh, to make it what they think it should look like and how it should operate. And they're using business motifs for it. And they're saying, if it works for PepsiCo or works for Xerox or somebody else, then it'll work for you too. And they've been selling that to churches And they've been investing a lot of money into that. And to this day, it does not work. Because the church is an organism, not an organization. It's the body of Christ. It's not a business. And when we get our eyes off that, then we lose sight of what God has made. How could we possibly make it work (laughs) if it's not following His design But God has a purpose in what he's done. He doesn't just invent things or create things and then just move on and say, boy, isn't that fun. He's got a purpose behind it. And I think that's masterful. Matter of fact, the reason he saved you was for a purpose too. Do you know that? He didn't save you just because he was wanting another notch on some spiritual ruler somewhere or something like that. He saved you for a reason. And as we study this, you start to see the reason. He's put you in this body. Because the church is a masterpiece, made up of individual parts. Yes, we understand that. This chapter has been teaching us that. And yet, it's to operate as a single unit. A whole unit is the way it ought to move forward here. So what we're studying is how does it function and how does it function best. Verse 24, remember still, God composed it. So any answer we have has to be His answer. We can't make up our own here. God composed the body. He adjusted it. He mingled it as He wanted. He harmonized it. He proportioned the parts to fit and to work. Even the weakest parts? Yes. Even the weakest parts. Most of the time we say, did God really make that weak part? Yes. He did for a reason. Did did God really create the less honorable parts? Yes, he did. did. Did God take these seemingly useless parts and put them in the body? Yes, he did. And sometimes it's a mystery to us. We say, why is that ever included in the mix? Why would he do that? Shouldn't it? I mean, all the parts should be of such quality that they're all strong and powerful and capable and Yet, the very reason why he mingles them like this way is to show that the strong can't do it without the weak. (laughs) And the honorable cannot do it without the less honorable. And the significant parts can't operate without the insignificant parts, too. Honestly, there are no insignificant parts in the way he constructs it. But the way we look at it is like, well, we really don't need that person or this person or such like that. And when we start to talk like that, we sound like a Corinthian. Because that's what they were doing, remember? Early in the passage. Oh, I have no need of you. You're not one of us. 
You're not an eye or you're not an ear or you're not something. You're something else and we don't need you. And that's not the way God composed the body. So, that's our study. How did God compose it so that we would know how we fit, how we work, how we function, and how we could do it to our best? And this, again, I told you last time we were together, we've had a break in between our sermons here. But the last time we were talking about this is that when he starts to introduce verse 25 and 26, he says it in what we call the potential mood. Potential, not because God's afraid he's not going to work, it's not going to you know, succeed or such like that. But this is God's way of speaking to us because we really have a lot yet to be, don't we? Are we not uh, perfect already? No? There's potential here. The way God designed it, he sets it up in such a way that he says, this is how I made it. I designed this body so that you being mature, fully functional, fully equipped, fully activated in Christian service, in your ministry to one another, your bearing fruit, your evangelistic in nature, you're reaching the lost, you're growing mighty in your faith, you understand God's Word enormously, and you're able to teach others. That's what you're meant to be. How are we doing? little room to grow? That's why there's a potential in front of you. It's because sometimes our attitude and our obedience lines up with God's Word, and there we are. And then you know there's Mondays too, right? I always say Mondays. Maybe it's Thursday for you. I don't know what day that is. But where you say, I don't feel like it today. That's the potential of the Christian walk. And he sets it up here on purpose because what he says is, the way I designed it is potentially that the church will have no division. See it in verse 25? So it will have no division. Does churches have divisions today? Uh, You know what that means simply? We're not living up to our potential that God designed us to be. The church has a long ways to go. There are divisions everywhere. He doesn't want schisms. He doesn't want splits. He doesn't want gaps in the body. It's to continually exist without division. Folks, the day will come and we will see it. But we will be in glory. And we're going to be amazed at what the body looks like when there's no division. Oh, that's going to be a good day. But the second side of this potential is that so that the body would also have the same care, each member for one another. Now, have we perfected that one yet? I don't think we have yet. We're still working on that. But we should have the same care for one another. The same care. I illustrated that last time. Should I quiz you? What, what part of the body system did we talk about? Somebody say it or else I'm starting all over. The nervous system. Remember the little nerves in there? And their role in the nervous system? How they're all on that chain, so to speak, from your finger to your brain. And when something happens down here, they all have a role to carry that message up to the brain. And they have to look out for each other. Because this nerve is not going to respond unless that nerve responds. And so that nerve responds, this nerve is ready, it responds too. It's supposed to act that way. And the speed in which this happens is phenomenal. 
phenomenal. But the whole picture set in there is, is what, if he's talking about a body, I see the picture very clearly. It's because if we have the same care for one another, this system, like a spiritual, uh, uh, spiritual nervous system, will be sensitized one part to the other. Reciprocating one each after the other. So that your part is important to me and my part's important to you. What happens on my left, I care about. What happens on my right, I care about. And I am receptive to it. That's the beauty of care for one another. And we should all have the same care for one another. Operating in such a way. That helps in that whole communication system and helps in the response system. And it's supposed to work that way. And the reality is, when that breaks down, when one nerve says, I'm not going to do it, it breaks the chain. And when the chain is broken, something is not being finished. It's not being communicated. The job's not getting done. That's called division. That's where there's a gap or a split in the system. And that's not the way God composed the body. We saw that in verse 25. All the parts, hear it again, I've said it many times, we are not independent parts. We are dependent parts. We are individuals, but we are dependent. Every single part is dependent on each other. That is the way the body is most efficient. Hear it? That's all the way through 1 Corinthians 12. We've seen it verse after verse after verse. And so, your part, my part, is to lift up the people on either sides of us who need to mature. Did you know that was your job? Ephesians 4 said so. That we're here to build up the body in love. We're here, all the parts are designed. Every part supplying. Every part adding. Every part working. Every part so that the body is matured. Take it seriously. You are here to help your brothers and sisters in the body mature. You know what that requires? Your maturity too. You need to mature. The reason is not so that you could win some Bible trivia contest. The reason is because you need to be strong in your faith, understanding God's Word, maturing your actions and your attitudes, You've got to look and, and be more Christ-like for the sake of your brother and sister. They need you to be that. Even the mature people need you to be that. Because when you mature, you not only benefit yourself, you benefit everybody around you. So as a pastor, I said, grow up, grow up, grow up. Why? Because when we grow up, we function better. The efficiency grows. Because we're fitting God's design. You see, care is not some separate department of the church. Like, oh, we got our teachers here, and we got Sunday school here, and we got our care ministry. Like it's some other department. It's all woven together. It's the way God designed the body. That's His potential for us. That we're all growing up and we're serving well. Now you say, okay, Pastor, you've said a lot of that before. Yes. Now, you ready for the sermon? Starts in verse 26 with the word and. Say, and? Okay. I'm going to pull a Ken Wilcox here, okay? He loved preaching on one word. So, 
or start with one word, and, and you say, well, that's a, that's, I've seen that word a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's a conjunction. You know what a conjunction's meant to be, right? It's joining two thoughts together. My dad worked for the train industry. Trains, I mean, 40 years of trains. It was fun as kids to go to the train yard, watch my dad at work. His, his job was to sit in a chair, to push a button, as a train car rolled down the hill one by one, he'd push a button to slow it down so it didn't crash into the others because it would split off into all these different uh, branches and join with other trains. It was a switchyard. And so he, was a, a, he slowed them down as they rolled down the hill because they had no brakes of their own. So he would slow them down with his machinery. So we'd sit up there and watch as he would watch the trains go by. But there's a simple lesson in this. You can put all those trains together, but if you don't have conjunctions between them, you don't have a train. You might have an engine going off, but there's no cars attached. They have to have the link to put them together. And here's a link for us, folks, so let's not consider it unimportant. I mean, there are things that have to go together. You've got a Batman, you need a who? Oh, see, there it is. All right. Consider verse 26 to be a teammate of verse 25. Sometimes they just pull 26 out and we walk around with it and say, woohoo, this is what we do. It's linked to the passage. It's not separate from the passage. He's going to show you what care looks like. He uses the word and. You look up and in a dictionary. Have you ever tried that? Most people say, why? Why do you waste your time? Uh, I did. I looked it up. It's a very common word. It's used as, used as a function word to indicate connection or addition, especially of items which have the same class or type. Used to join sentence elements of the same grammatical rank or function. So, if I'm using this dictionary definition, that's Merriam-Webster's online dictionary, that means whatever is said in verse 26 has the same function or rank or the same class or type as a previous thought. It's not a subcategory. It's not an isolated category. It's not something else. So I started to look up the word and in the Greek New Testament. Take a wild guess. What is the most common word used in the Greek New Testament? It's the. Surprise! <laughs> it's the word the. You say, well, okay. And it says second place. The you find almost 20,000 times in the Greek New Testament. The. And you find almost 10,000 times in the Greek New Testament. And the third one is he, she, or it. And those are the three ranking ones. But and is interesting in here. Nearly 7% of all New Testament words are the word and. Do you think God's just wasting his time with ink or something? Saying, well, let's just throw an and in there. I've got 9,000 to use. So he's just sprinkling them all over the page? No, he's got a reason for that little word. Just like the word the is very important. You may not think so. You may say, well, I've seen does all over the place. It's called a definite article. You know that? The. Definite article. 
Modern Greek scholars, I'm not going to kid you on this, modern Greek scholars do not like the word definite. They want us to call it the article. Don't call it the definite article. I said, well, why not? What you're doing is taking the fangs out of it. When you take the word definite out of it, you, you don't have any identity. For example, I say, bring me a book. You can pick any book in the room. I say, bring me the book. And I'm talking about something specific, right? When I'm saying that Jesus is a way, a truth, a life, or do I say Jesus is the way, the truth, the life? Is there a difference between the two? I like definite, don't you? Oh, yes, I do. I, I say, there is a difference between a God and the God. And so when I look at the word the, I see its purpose is to define accurately what we're talking about. And is just as essential. That little and word is also linking things of the same class or type, the same rank or function. When you hit it in verse number 26, you are saying what is said here is just as valuable as what we just said. And if that was a big deal, it's because God made it so. God composed the body, and God wanted an and there. All right? So that, here's his purpose. God composed this body so that, verse 25, there's no division in the body, so that the members will have the same care for one another, so that if one member suffers, all members suffer with it, so that... If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. He's showing how he put it all together. All the members. How many times has that popped up on the page? All the members. Don't miss that little word, all. The Greek, we say, pas. In, in some equivalents in English, we use the word pan, P-A-N, pan. You know, pantheism and all these other words, we use pan for all, right? The whole. All the members. How many does that include? Anybody in this room not included? Just got to ask you. Anybody feel excluded here and left out in any way? You say, oh, I'm exempt, Pastor. <laughs> uh-uh. All. All the members. First thing to know, all of them. That's the beauty of God's construction of the church. All the parts are important. All the parts are necessary. All the parts are designed in His careful and His intentional ways. So we have no business saying that part is not important. We have no business doing that. God didn't design the body for us to pick and choose what parts we like. God designed the body. All the members are in this picture. And when we go all the way through chapter number 12, which we've been working on, we've seen that God considers every single part to be indispensable to the rest of the body. Indispensable. Isn't that a great word? The weakest part is indispensable. The most unsightly part is indispensable. The parts that seem to have no value at all, they are designed by God to bring all the parts up to maturity. Really, that's what it says. I find this interesting. 
as I was thinking through this passage, there's a, another passage in Scripture. You know, when you're reading one part, suddenly you think, oh yeah, I saw that someplace else. And it just kind of prompts you to go and look it up. So I, I worked my way over to Hebrews 11. You know that chapter? Put your bookmark here and go over there. You know where it's at. Hebrews chapter 11. And you know what we call this chapter. The faith chapter, right? This is a hall of faith, some people call it. And it talks about Moses and Abraham and Noah and Abel and, and uh, all these others who lived by faith, who did something by faith. Extraordinary stories in Hebrews chapter 11. Great men and women of faith. It's not uncommon, I think, at times to set them up something like a superhero of the faith and say, wow, these guys were self-sufficient, rock-solid folks. They subdued and they conquered and they won the battles over fear by their faith. And if any of them were in this room this right, right now, they'd say, uh-uh. <laughs> it's, a, I'm, I'm a, it's a wonder I'm even in here, but it's only by God's grace that I'm in this book. Because if you read their stories, their stories might look a lot more like ours. But these folks trusted the Lord. And that was the point of the chapter. And as the writer was concluding all these wonderful thoughts about how they were tested by their faith and all. And no doubt when you read the chapter, you're probably inspired by it. You're probably saying, well, I could do something. I could do something. But when you get to verse number 39 and 40 you realize something interesting. You are doing something. In verse 39, and all these, that's that whole list, having gained approval through their faith, yes, they did, did not receive what was promised. And as the writer is writing here, the Holy Spirit says, put a comma there. Not a period, put a comma. Put a comma. And then he says, because, Verse 40, God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. First run through that, you might say, uh, writer, you used the wrong pronouns. You should have said, because God had provided something better for them. But he said the word us. He said, what, what, what happened here? So that apart from us, they, they would not be made perfect? What's this? What was better? Better for us that God had not given them the promises they were looking for. I believe, and I'm not, I can't build a theology on this or such. I'll just say it this way. I believe that if they had received their promises on this earth, the story would have been over. It would have been faith finalized. It would have been faith fulfilled. Nothing else to wait for, nothing else to hope for. But for our sakes, God did not give them the final chapter yet. You see, we're in the graduating class with them. But it isn't over until all who live by faith have been made complete. All of us. They are not complete. That's the word perfect. Without us. God's chapter of faith is not finished. 
without the rest who must also live by faith. You see, chapter 11 is not so much a testimony of all these individuals as it is a testimony of God. Who did they trust? They didn't live by faith in themselves. They trusted Him. They trusted Him. They trusted Him. They trusted Him. Their story is not done until we're all standing there saying the same thing. We trusted Him. We trusted Him. His purpose, God's purpose for them includes us. That, that's really a stunning little thing to think through. So if you've ever said, I, I wouldn't mind being in Hebrews chapter 11, you are. You're in verse number 40. That's you. You're part of the picture. What can you say in relation to the body of Christ? It's not completed until all the parts are completed. Right? I used to joke with my sister a lot. Um, when you think about the rapture, when you think about the rapture, do you think that God's going to just pull up your arm? Or, or maybe your kidneys or your earlobe without taking the whole body? Wouldn't that be a terrible day? I used to, like I said, I joked about my sister with this a lot because she's a medical technologist and she's a, a director of certain laboratories in several hospitals in Florida. And, and I said, well, if anyone knows medicine and all that stuff, then you should be able to answer this. And I said, if I were a Christian and I signed the donor card on my driver's license and I was killed in a car accident and my organs went to somebody else at the rapture, do I get them back? Isn't that a great question? <laughs> Makes you think twice now, doesn't it? When God said the whole body, all the members are essential, He's not leaving any parts out, is He? He's not saying that's not important. Oh, that's okay. You, if you don't want to grow up, that's okay. We're just, you know, we'll figure out how to get this. So he's even designed Hebrews chapter 11 that it can't be done without you. And the body can't be completed without you being completed. And that's the picture when he said all. All the members. If one member suffer, who's supposed to suffer? All the members. That's not we divide this up. Say, you know, this is our suffering team. And this is our rejoicing team. And if we got a problem, we're send it to them. And if we got a great thing, we're sending to them. That's not the way it works. All the members, the whole body, suffers when one suffers. You say, I don't like that, Pastor. Well, okay. The word suffer, you want to know what it means? Let me help you. We get the word pasco in the Greek. It's patho. Maybe words like pathetic or uh, pathology or other words can come from such a word like that. It's the idea of experience, experiencing a sensation or an impression, usually painful, something you feel, a passion, uh, something that vexes you even. It's used often in the sense of injury. It's used often in reference to what Christ experienced on the cross. I must suffer these things. He said that a lot if you read through the Gospels. 
what the, what the Son of Man is going to Jerusalem to suffer, to suffer, to suffer. He uses that word an awful lot. That's this word. Peter used it several times in reference to persecuted Christians who suffered for doing right. That was not uncommon to find in the New Testament. It also is traced to people who are ill. But I notice how often suffering is used in reference to the will of God. In reference to the will of God? You know what? It's really hard to reconcile suffering as to the will of God with those who teach a prosperity gospel. To them, Jesus messed it all up. Because he suffered. And he died. And that's not in their gospel at all. But suffering is linked to ministry. It's linked to ministry. It's a ministry of the believer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, a passage you might know pretty well, especially if you've been to any funerals lately. It's like the funeral passage. Uh, everybody likes to read it at some point. But I'll read it to you if you aren't going to turn there. But I'll, I hope you do. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Interesting things are said here. Verse number 3. I'm going to start there because that's where we always start it when we're reading it off in a funeral. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that... Oh no, there's a purpose. What is it? So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Why does God give you comfort? So you can share it. So you can share it. So you say, well, I didn't want to go through that affliction. (laughs) He says, but it's going to help you help somebody else going through that affliction. Most of the time we don't look at it that way. We just say it hurts. We don't like hurt. But he goes on to add, because we usually stop there, but it goes on to say, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. I underscored that line. How does it become effective? It is effective when we patiently endure it for its profit. The profit to share with others. I want to read to you something. I don't often read from Albert Barnes' commentary, but I will today because his comments are very fascinating. On the phrase, all the members suffer with it. This, we all know, is a case of the body. A pain in the foot, the hand, or the head excites deep solicitude. The interest is not confined to that part affected, but we feel it as that we affect, ourselves are, effect, are affected, sorry, and that our body as a whole demands our care. The word suffer here refers to disease or sickness. It is true also that we not only feel an interest in the part that is affected, affected, but the disease in any part tends to diffuse itself throughout. 
to the effect of the whole frame. If not arrested, it's conveyed through the blood to all the members until life itself is destroyed. It is not by mere interest, then, or sympathy, but it is by the natural connection and the inevitable result that a diseased member tends to affect the whole frame. There is not, indeed, then, in the church, the same physical, if you will, connection or physical effect. But the union is really not less close and and important, nor is it less certain that the conduct of one member will affect all. It is implied here that we should feel a deep interest in the welfare of all the members of the body of Christ. If one is tempted or afflicted, the other members of the church should feel it and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill his law. If one is poor, the other should aid him and supply his need. If one is persecuted and opposed for righteousness' sake, the other should sympathize with him and make common cause with him. In all things pertaining to religion and their mutual welfare, they should feel that they have a common cause and regard it as a privilege to aid one another. Now, that was his whole comment here. And I want you to notice something. It wasn't simply a matter of hearing that a member is suffering and feeling sorry for it. Or replying with that usual phrase, well, I'm praying for you. That doesn't minimize the value of prayer at all. But for some, that's the fullest extent of their response. When an injury or an infection sets into the body, as we know from even the way he described it, if it's left to itself, it could disease the whole body. It could be a big problem down the road. But if one injury sets into the body, it may be easy to think, let's just isolate that part and hope for a good recovery. (laughs) But it doesn't work that way, does it? Because all the parts are so designed in the body that the moment an infection or a injury is detected, the blood rushes to that spot. All the necessary ingredients to clot, if the clotting is necessary, or white blood cells to fight infection. It's an amazing thing how it knows to do that. I wonder who made it. That's not evolution, folks. <laughs> That's God. But he has designed your body. And you should be thankful for that. You should be thankful for that. The efficient functioning of the church body would do the same thing. The simple picture is, when one member suffers, whatever that might be, the whole body should be rushing to that place. Rushing to that place. How many members need to get involved? What's the word? All. It's not for a subcommittee. It's for all of us. You just say, well, pastor, suffering's not my spiritual gift. I would much rather rejoice with somebody who's rejoicing than suffering with somebody who's suffering. Oh, we haven't touched that yet, and the time's up. There's some good things on that side, too, that I've got to share with you. And... There's too many notes here. I just want you to realize something as we start into this little verse. We looked at this first half of it anyway. Don't minimize your ministry. Too many times they say, oh, that's, not, that's not what I do. That's not where I'm supposed I, I can't do that. God did not design the body for each individual part to go off and do its own individual thing. 
But your ministry is for the body. And don't ever minimize what God can do with you. You may say it's, in a, it's a small part. It's a little part. Oh, good. He's good with little parts. But don't think that I'm not needed here. When God so composed the body that if one member suffers, how many is it going to take to, to work with that? All of us. All of us. I want you to let that settle this week. All right? Because we're going to talk about the other side of it. And don't be surprised what you hear. It's an amazing section of Scripture that's coming our way. But I'm just amazed still how God has so designed this body. I love it this way. It works the best this way, folks. You want to see God bless a church? Do it His way. Wow, what a difference that would make. I, I have to confess, though, sometimes when we're reading passages like this, there's something that needs to change. And it's usually... Starts with an A and ends has a T and a T and a you know the rest of the letters <laughs> attitude. So many times this thing gets in the way of this thing. Let's talk to the Lord about this, okay? Let's talk to the Lord about this. Heavenly Father, we're learning about your body and how it works. We are very selective, Lord. You know that. We act very selectively. We help those we want to help. We reach out to those who we deem worthy to be reached out to. For so many times, Lord, you see how anemic the body looks. How pathetic it is. To have parts that are hurting, parts that are lacking, parts that are are in need of the rest of the body to come and do what the body does to help it mature and strengthen and be healthy. And we've left parts off. We've neglected parts. We've, we've just counted them as unimportant because they're not in the, in the forefront. Or they're not the, the smartest among us or the, the, the most giving among us. Or we use all kinds of measuring tools. Lord, but we're not using your measuring tool. The body that you designed is to look like Christ. Every part is to look like Christ. If we would only see another part as one that ought to look like Christ, and been bought by the blood of Christ, and has been placed in the body of Christ, we would show more care for one another, more love for one another, more desire to serve one another. And of all things, we would want every single person to look like Jesus. Lord, if our attitude's in the way, show us, correct us, help us to overcome this very thing. Because so often, the church doesn't reach its full efficiency because of the members that are not right with God. May we be right with you. Work in our hearts, we pray, Lord. We're we're submissive to you. We want to see the church thrive because it's like Christ. Use us, Lord, how you see fit, and change us to be more like Jesus, we pray. In his name, amen.